Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and today for The Stacks Book Club, we are honoring National Poetry Month. We're discussing Wild Beauty by Intezake Shange with poet and performance artist Gabrielle Seville. For those of you who, like me, might be a little intimidated by reading and discussing poetry, this episode is for you. There are no spoilers today, just a conversation about how to approach poetry and what it means to, quote, get it, and even what a good poem is. So take a deep breath. We got this. Just a reminder, we have a new segment on the show called Ask the Stacks. It's where we give you book recommendations based on your taste. So if you're looking for a book or you want to be looking for a book, shoot us an email at askingthestacks at gmail.com. Make sure to include your name, what you're looking for, a few books you've liked or a few books you haven't liked, and then we'll give you some personalized book recommendations on air. So email askingthestacks at gmail.com. If you like the show and want to support the work we're doing here, go to patreon.com slash the stacks pack. Patreon allows for people like me to make podcasts like this one with the help from people like you. It's easy and you earn perks like our virtual book club, a priority on Ask the Stacks, and a lot more. To join, go to patreon.com slash the stacks or use the link in the show notes. I want to give a little love to our newest members of the Stacks Pack, our friends over at What Should I Read Next? What Should I Read Next is a bookish podcast hosted by Ann Bogle. Thank you so much for the support and for all you do. And you guys can hear me on What Should I Read Next? I've left a link in the show notes. You can check it out. If a monthly subscription doesn't work for you, consider one-time contributions at paypal.me slash the stacks pod. If you like what you hear, please take a moment to rate and review this show wherever you get your podcasts, especially on Apple Podcasts. Our review of the week comes from Kara Liz, and they say, look no further, smash that subscription button. Honestly, it's that easy. Write your short little review and know that you're helping out the show and then just move on with your day. Thank you, Kara Liz, for being a pioneer in the short and sweet review world. Now it's time for the Stacks Book Club of Entezake Shange's poetry collection, Wild Beauty, with our guest, Gabrielle Seville. There are no spoilers today, so here we go. 
All right, everybody, I am back again with Gabrielle Seville, performance artist, professor, I I should say doctor, because you know, you got that PhD, you got those extra letters. PhD, got it. Um, And we're talking today for the Stacks Book Club about Wild Beauty by Intazake Shange. And it's Poetry Month. And I'll be honest, you suggested this. I kind of tried to fight you on it. I kind of didn't want to do it because I have major poetry insecurity, which I'm happy to talk about today and we'll get into it because I know that while I have it, I'm not alone. You're not alone. I have no people listening right now are going, yes, that's right. But don't turn it off because yeah. poetry Well, we're going to learn magic. about poetry and we're going to, I want to know, you know, why it's magic for you. I yeah. want to know how I can make magic my own, even though, you know, I don't like magic, uh, but poetry <laughs> magic I'm open to. So we're just going to talk about poetry and we're going to talk about this book and the poems and all that stuff. Um, there won't really be spoilers today because the nice thing about poetry is you could read it probably a hundred times, the same poem and different spoilers every time. Exactly. So with that, we'll start with where we always start with these books. What did you think of the book? I love this book. (laughs) I do. And I had read it before, but I read it again in preparation. And I just love it as a compilation of of a woman's kind of journey in poetry and as all these snapshots of her own childhood and love affairs and coming of age so that there's these autobiographical pieces, but then things that she just imagined. Mm -hmm. And um, for some people who might know, for colored girls who have considered suicide when the rainbow is enough, that was written by Ntozake Shange. And she wrote it as a perform, you know, in and through kind of performing and improvising with a group of people, including um, Lori Carlos, and if I'm not mistaken, even Jessica Hagedorn. And so there's some of the writing from that, what she calls choreo poem mm-hmm. in- for colored girls that's also in this book. And it also combines uh, poetry from her collections, Nappy Edges, uh, A Daughter's Geography, Ride in the Moon in Texas. I mean, these titles are so juicy. So good. But she she combines them in a new way and then adds new poetry and shares at the end of the book that she'd gotten quite ill. Yeah. And was debilitated in that it took her kind of years to relearn how to walk and to write and and then she had kind of neurological episodes and just to be able to rewrite poems and to bring new work in with this 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 earlier work in her life I don't know I found the whole book to be really touching yeah well so there are poems in this book that I was like ooh Mm-hmm. Like I had like a little like, ooh, I feel this. And then there were poems in this book where I would read the same poem like three times in a row and be like, I'm not even paying attention. Like I've totally mm-hmm. disconnected from whatever this thing is. And so uh, for me, like I was really interested in the introduction and that part at the end where she talked about, because like that was stuff that I felt like I understood. Mm-hmm. And I realized, and we talked about this last week and I want to talk about it more. I realized that i brought to this work like a an expectation of getting or understanding mm-hmm. that I think got slash gets in my way when I read mm-hmm. poetry like this ex- like I'm smart I read I should get this and I don't know that I got it and and in your book something that I so I read Wild Beauty before I read your book oh, oh, oh. and normally I do it the opposite way normally I read the guest's book before I read so I can come at it but one of the things that you have in your book and I'm going to quote from your book um, a little bit is that where did it go? 
um, is that you talk about Charles Bernstein, who has the difficult poem. And Charles Bernstein says the difficulty you are having with the poem may suggest that there is a problem not with you, the reader, or with the poem, but with the relation between you and the poem. And then you go on to say, which means that the relation is, of course, social, economic, political, historical, national, regional, racial, gendered, classed, sexually oriented, and depends greatly on who you are. And reading that, made me think, well, shit, I'm not broken. The poem's not bad. There's a disconnect between these two things in this moment that I'm, that my eyes are on this poem. And that disconnect could be one of many things, but it's specifically one of two things. One, it could just be like, ah, this poem's not my jam. It's Mm -hmm. like, you have this beautiful, you go to the Mac counter and there are all these different shades and you're like, eh, that one. Yeah. So that if there were these poems in this book that gave you the feels or did something for you or made you stop, that's amazing. Because even for me, I love this book, but I didn't necessarily feel something for every single poem in the book. So that's one thing. But also, I think that the disconnect there, and that's like, I'm like, whoa, I put a lot of language in there about the difficult poem. Yes. Racial, historical, cultural. But some of it, I feel like there's a disconnect between the ways that people have taught us how to read and understand poems. Because I think that when you pick up a novel, there isn't that same expectation of like getting it, getting it, getting it, getting it. It's like something is happening and you become engrossed in what's happening. And I actually think it's the same thing with poems. Right. Or that like when we're taught poetry, we're taught that there is something there to get. That is not the way that I teach poetry. Right. How do you teach it? Well, first... your approach? I mean, one approach to poetry that I have is don't talk about the poem at all. Mm. Read the poem out loud and then move on. But do that in high school. If I were a high school teacher, you do it every day for months. You just have a different poem every day and just have the poem and then keep going Mm -hmm. so that people are having an experience of the poem where it just... It allows them to have a sonic experience and let them see, oh, wait, does that remind me of something? Does that conjure an image for me? Mm. Does that raise a question for me? Did that tell me something? But before I impose a meaning, a meaning, oh, you know, good fences make good neighbors or two roads diverge into mm-hmm. a, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Before we get into something that's maybe more canned, have an experience. Mm-hmm. Is there language that feels juicy? It's like if you're listening to a hip hop song and then all of a sudden there's just like a rhyme that you like. Mm-hmm. It's not about what that rhyme means. It's mm-hmm. the sound of it. Or here, like for Intazake Shange, I love this poem, Box and Paul. So just a couple lines from it. We must make totems. How else can the spirits feel us? How else can they know we must reach for them in ourselves? Our spirits roam the skies, the soil, and the seas, not unlike other deities. We require our homage, sacrifice, and offerings. So, like, for me, I read something like that, and I'm like, yeah, okay, Mm -hmm. we do. We need to. It it calls on me to move away from all of my practical thinking into some kind of creativity. So this book in particular is like a creative incubator for me because Mm. she's saying, 
like put on your feathers and your and your mm-hmm. and your glitter and your rhinestones. Even though then you wake up the next morning with some dude in your bed and you think, <laughs> how did that happen? You know what I mean? She's <laughs> she's saying like, okay, sometimes this world of imagination and poetry it collides with other material realities. And so she's really clear about the material realities. But I love Intezake Shange's work so much because it's, I think it's juicy and it allows for pleasure. Mm-hmm. She, for me, and her words and her images, um, she's often talking about like body and desire mm-hmm. and memory and taste and we did this and we listened to this music we listened to jazz we listened to eddie cologne we listen you know we listened to the chicago um art ensemble you know she's bringing you into something that's saturated mm-hmm. with feeling and so it's for me these poems it's like walking into a room and then feeling the ambiance of something right do you read poetry aloud yes when i'm when i can I'm not out in public or on a train or something. I like to read it aloud. I think for me, a poem is successful when it when it tingles and and kind of makes me want to read it aloud because the language looks like, ooh, I want to say, you know, Aztecs dressed in the skins of the dead. I want to say Yorubans deliver Yemaya white blossoms and champagne. You know, right. you know what I'm saying? Now some poems. They don't call. They're not as sensuous or they're right. not they're not as sonorous. I guess I would say. But um, I do like to read poems aloud, yeah. I, I'm curious about your poetry practice because yeah. I don't have one. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, what? Like, I, well, I kind of do. I should say I, I secretly have a weird poetry thing. Not weird. Um, but I love Shakespeare. Yeah. And I particularly like the parts in verse. Oh, yeah. I particular, I don't care for the prose nearly as much. Um, but I do most of my Shakespeare reading out loud. There's so much lilt. I mean, so much of Shakespeare is written also in meter. And right. so it's written for you to really hear. I mean, right. Shakespeare, the reason why people are still talking about him centuries later is the skillfulness, mm-hmm. the way that that language is crafted and right. also still sounds so natural. So that's the magic of iambic pentameter. Right, right. Um, one of the best ways to, I think, come to appreciation for reading poetry is for writing it. Mm. And I think I used to teach Shakespeare sonnets quite a bit. And the first thing we would do in class is write sonnets. And we would write a class sonnet where we would have 14 lines and we would have word rhymes with word, word rhymes with word, whatever with the rhyme Mm -hmm. scheme. And then each person would be responsible for one line and we would Mm. decide, okay, peaches, we're going to write a poem about peaches. All right. And then we're going to have you pick a word, bake, what rhymes with bake, fake. And then we would say, and then it has to be 10 syllables and we're going to try. I mean, the iambic part, people stressed on stress, you know, people were still like, I don't know, but I'm like, just one line, see if you can do it. And clearly what we made, it was not, spoiler alert, on the level of Shakespeare, (laughs) but the pleasure of creating something like that helped to foster appreciation for reading someone else. And Mm -hmm. so I do think that um, this kind of writing for some people, the, the kind of preparation for it and the miseducation around it can be problematic. And then there are some people who just, I mean, I do think that like hip hop MCs, lyricists, rappers, there's a susceptibility to language. And there's something that poetry, um, for people who naturally just like sound and mm-hmm. wordplay, that it's just candy. Right. I, I do think that there's like 
that appreciation for words, not meaning, but like the way that words move through your mouth and your tongue and the way that they then sound in your ear, that some people have an appreciation for that and that some people don't. You know, like not not to say that that's negative or positive, but like I care deeply about a pointed foot. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, and like yeah, 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 a lot yeah, yeah, of people yeah, yeah. will see a dancer and they won't I, like I'll be like, oh, her foot is like her. She's not pointing through her toes yeah. and you won't see that. Right. But like that I care deeply about that. Like, you know, like a hip hop MC might care deeply about the sounds of vowels, oh, let's yeah. say, or consonants that I just might not hear. And so I do think that poetry, there are people who it resonates with almost naturally, like they understand it because that's part of who they are. Whereas there are people who will go to the ballet and be like, I don't get it. And I'm like, you don't get it? Like, right. Uh, you know, like that there, that just as there are oral learners or visual learners, that there are people who understand words in different ways. You're naming something I think so wise and that there's, there are people who are naturally oriented into certain kinds of aesthetic styles. And what's cool about that is that who we are demographically does not overdetermine what it is that we might like, whether right. we prefer a flexed or a pointed foot, whether we prefer kind of language play over plot. But there's a difference between vibing with something and understanding it. Sure. So I remember the first time I got Lewis Untermeyer's Immortal Poems of the English Language from a Walden bookstore for $5.99 <laughs> when I was in middle school. Mm. And I was just flipping through it. And a lot of it I didn't understand and it didn't do anything for me. And I'll never forget the first time I read, of all things, T.S. Eliot's The Hollow Man. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what the hell that poem was about. I still might not. But the language, this is the way the world turns. This is the way the world ends, not with a bang, but a whimper. Just the sound of that. It was mm-hmm. so intense. And the melody mm-hmm. and the the intent, just that intensity of language or even like a Langston Hughes, you know, um, life for me ain't been no crystal stair, but still I keep, I keep climbing, you know, although the floorboards bare. I mean, all that stuff... Right. It's true. There was something in me that that responded to it even before I got it, so to speak. But there but I also think that the anxiety around getting it can convince people that they don't understand things that they actually do. That they do understand. That's right. And like for me, like reading these poems, what I found was interesting was there would be lines or even words that I was like, ooh, like tingle up my spine, right? Like the first um the first poem okra and greens i have it written down from okra to greens that first line where she says i have to turn my tv down sometimes because i can't stand to have white people shout at me i was like oh i like this collection yeah yeah, 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 (laughs) like and and the rest of the poem i i was like but like that line for me i was like i'm here for this because but that's enough i mean i think if you can read a book of poems and you can get some lines. I mean, I just recently read, um, and this series for people who don't know for Wild Beauty, it's coming out of, of a tria and they're doing this thing where it's African American women poets who've had a lot of books. I mean, it's because the late, the latest one I just read was by Alice Walker. Oh, I have that. I haven't read it. Do you have that? Yeah. Pull it, taking the arrow out of the heart. And it's also translated in Spanish, which we have to talk about on this too. That's amazing. But I feel like, um, I just, that, that, 
in that particular collection, many of the poems I was like, ah, and then I'd be like, oh, right. I love, so for me, I found that, I mean, that book was successful for me because there were five or six out of, I don't know, 30 poems that were, you know what? I think of it like, it's almost like if you go to see an exhibition, I saw an exhibition of Magritte's drawings, not Magritte, Matisse. That's a really big difference, friends. <laughs> and then one of the things that the curator said was like, not every one of these drawings is amazing. Right. So, but to, but, and not every drawing that you think is amazing, someone else will. Right. You know what I mean? So it's about that beautiful, um, I don't know, box of chocolates to totally mix my metaphor. Or just like even this, this is from For Colored Girls, but, you know, one thing I don't need is any more apologies. Mm. I got sorry greeting me at my front door. You can keep yours. You know, there's a kind of, her voice to me, she's bringing in a little bit of kind of like real homegirl, but then with these myths of, you know, like the the European, the the Europeans, what was it? Europeans drinking champagne or, Mm. I mean, I just think to me that combination is exciting or the, what's happening with these, with these women in this book, you know? Right. And in, so in the introduction from the translator, so there's an introduction and there's an introduction from the translator that talks about turning her words into Spanish. And some of it has to do with the fact that in Spanish, um, because every letter makes its sound, unlike in English where there's letters that you don't actually pronounce or right. whatever. So like for enough, Shange would write E-N-U-F, but right. that is, doesn't exist in Spanish because the letters, you know. So there's all that stuff, which I thought was interesting. But one of the things that he says, this translator, he says, you know, Shange is the Malcolm X to Maya Angelou's Martin Luther King. <laughs> and I was like... Okay. That's interesting. It like put in perspective for me who I was getting ready to read. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was like, okay. Like, and that does feel right. That like she is less concerned about what you think of her work and like a little bit more defiant and a little bit less worried about the audience. Especially like the white gaze, right? Like that's kind of how it framed these poems for me. So reading them, you know, it gave me context, which is what I think is probably a lot of my problem with reading poetry is that I I need context. I need context. So like my favorite poems were the ones where I understood the references, like the ode to Orlando. I was like, I get this. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because I was familiar with the Pulse nightclub shooting. I was familiar with that idea that her daughter, who is queer, would be, could have been there. And like, so for me, I'm like, oh, I get what you're talking about. And so therefore I get this poem and I can relate it. Like it was easier for me to relate to. Sure, because you knew what you, you knew what she was talking about. That's right. That's right. I mean, you know the way that you it's the way that you're talking. It reminds me that when I sometimes take dance classes, there comes a point where the choreography in the class becomes too difficult, and I can't follow the steps. And I right. think, but I can't dance here if I can't follow the steps, and I mm-hmm. get frustrated because I think, but but I can dance, and right. um, so why should I have to follow your steps? You know. But the thing is. There is a great pleasure in feeling that connection, even what you just described in terms of, wait, I know what she's talking about. Mm -hmm. And the way that she evokes in that poem, the recognition that her very daughter could have been there Mm -hmm. at that club. Mm -hmm. That's so poignant. And for me, that's one of her, I mean, that that poem she wrote not shortly before she died, Rest in Power in Tazake Shange. And 
to think that that is actually still in line with other work, you know, like Bo Willie Brown and mm-hmm. and like violence that's happening in communities and identifying places where places of pleasure, mm-hmm. you know, because the Pulse nightclub was really a place, a place of, of pleasure. pleasure right? And then how violence and racism and in that instance, really homophobia came can come in to destroy the pleasure and just for her to be able to evoke all that in a page or two, mm-hmm. that that's really exciting for me. Yeah, I mean, this book also, the fact that this Spanish is here, it speaks to an important aspect of Shange's work and something that I identify personally with, and that's her role in the diaspora. That's right. And the way that she's really insistent that, her, I mean, and she's super insistent on a kind of black Americanness coming out in the 1950s and her father being a race man. And she's always talking about St. Louis and collard greens mm-hmm. and being a colored girl. I mean, really claiming we were colored, you know? But then in one of the poems I love so much that I used to also teach in my, I used to teach a class on international black women writers mm. and moving from an African-American Emphasis, And I think people who are interested in the diaspora, we have to make sure to always remind people here in the United States that it's like blackness is worldwide. That's you know? right. I mean, in here, you know, we have a daughter, Mozambique. We have a son, Angola. Our twins, Salvador and Johannesburg, cannot speak the same language, but we fight the same old men in the new world. This was one of the poems that I liked. I love this This was this one poem. that connected with me. New, what, new World Coro? Is that what it's? Yes. So good. I love this, you yeah. know? Yeah, totally. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last Three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide 
at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one size fits all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. So I am Black American, which is how mm-hmm. I like to identify. I'm mixed. My mom, my mom is white Jewish, but my dad was Black, slave Black is what I like to call it because people <laughs> are like, what are you? I'm like, ah, it's Black. I don't know, generally. Um, but that, I mean, you're, you're Haitian American mixed with African-American. Slave black. Slave black. Yes. And so there's this interesting, you know, people see you as black, Mm -hmm. but that there's so much because of the diaspora, that there's so much connection between you and other parts of the world and that, and in me as well, you know, like that there, that just because we are black presenting, if you will, that that doesn't mean that we're disconnected from Jamaica or or Cuba or or, Panama or Guyana or Suriname or Paris or, 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 I mean, Russia, this interesting woman that came and she was talking about being black in Russia. And then also just to, just to keep this real too, like, Haitians, we slave black too. Right. And though we're slave revolutionary black. Right. Okay. You know, so I have to okay. lift up, you know, I like that 1791, poem about Tucson, too. Tucson. See, you know what? I, like see, I believe that you got this book. Well, I, so what I realized when I went back through the ones that I liked, like, yeah. you know, I kind of like starred the ones that I liked and what I liked. And this also, of course, is true to what I like in reading non poetry mm-hmm. words is that I like story yeah. that has plot. Yeah. I like story that has reference. I like to be connected to history. And so for the ones that I liked, you know, uh, what was it? Crack, Crack Annie. Crack Annie. But that's a story. I mean, that's as about as close to prose as poetry gets, you know, like to me, like reading it, I was like, this is a story. Um, And so, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I liked probably 10 of these poems, like enough to make note of them. That's pretty good. Is that good? See, I think also I'm like, I have to like every single word oh, on every no, single no, page. no, 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 And I, I don't I have mean, to and do for that. For those, I want everyone, all of your listeners, I invite you so much to read my books. And I want you to know, you likely will not like everything in the entire book. Sure. Especially Experiments in Joy. It's so various. That there are some things that are more abstract. There are some things that are super narrative. There are letters. And so it's a bouquet and there are some flowers you're going to like more than others. Or better, I mean, better yet, I guess it's like a, I'll go back to the the chocolate. Mm. You know, some of them you're like, I don't want that cherry cordial. Yeah. No, thank you. That's that's (laughs) That's nasty. Yeah. But I think for me, in a book of poems, yeah, I, I think that that's an... My expectation is not, a, I don't read to get it and I don't read to like all of it. I'm just curious about the imagination right. of the poet. And then the things that I do like, one thing that I like to do is consider, why do I like this? Mm-hmm. So it's part of it for you I'm hearing is, 
oh, there's a narrative and there's a story. But but some of it, I mean, even with that, the New World Coro, it's reminding you or it's making you think about the world or it's making you think mm-hmm. about identity and connection in a way that's rich for you. Mm-hmm. And I think that for me, poems are often reminders of something or they spark something. They get me to think about something in a way I hadn't thought about it before. Mm. Or they get me to think about something in that moment that I wasn't thinking about that maybe I had thought about before, but now have returned to. And I think for me, that plays a role in my creative practice. Okay. Um, so that poems, you know, Carrie, Carrie Mae Weems, there was a beautiful picture of her studio and it was just full of books. And so many of those books were books of poetry. Interesting. Yeah, she had like Barbara Chase Raboo's work. Do you ever read her? Mm-mm. Oh man, she wrote. She wrote Sally Hemings. She writes these incredible um, historical fictions. Okay, and she's also quite an accomplished poet and sculptor. Hmm. So, yeah, so she's sort of writing figures of speech and then making figures in steel. I mean, she made these incredible sculptures for Malcolm X. She did a huge monument um, down near the World Trade Center in New York for the African slave burial. Um, yeah, I'm, and I just, there's something about poetry and, and art making, I think, for me. But I mean, there are plenty of people who are not art makers who love poems as well. So I don't want to fetishize it like that. Right. I just know for me, that's right, that there's a, that's it. like a through line. That's a through line. What were some of the other poems that you liked? Okay, so I wrote them down. So Crack Annie, I liked. I liked Ode to Orlando. Yeah, I liked About Atlanta because mm. I also have a a bit of a love for true crimey things, and so that spoke to me on the Atlanta monster whole thing. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I get, I understand the reference again, kind of like Ode to Atlanta. Got it. I mean, Ode to Orlando, um, New World Coro. Yeah, I love Toussaint. Mm-hmm. I like the old men. Because yeah, I yeah, felt yeah, like yeah, I got yeah. that felt very New York to me. Very. <laughs> I liked it too. I liked that one. And then um, dressing our wounds in warm clothes, which was about the homeless women. Mm-hmm. So wait a minute. So really the whole first hundred pages, you were like, why did Gabrielle make me read this a little bit? Mm, no. I mean, I had notes on other poems in the beginning, like the first line of the book I yeah. really liked. Toussaint was early, but it was towards the end it came that I, I understood or felt more. But Throughout, what? No, but that's it. I don't know what you were going to say, but I also think that it makes sense to me that the more that you're reading through the book, that reading those other poems that didn't necessarily, like you didn't love them, but they helped to situate you in her language maybe, so that when there was something that you did like, you could really feel it. I mean, I don't know. That could be a stretch. No, it's true Like that you, I, I was talking about this totally unrelated, but I just read Thick. Uh, by Tressie, and it's really Tressie yeah. McMillan Cottom, and I finished it yesterday, and then I picked up What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Blacker by Damon Young. Wow. But the fir- the introduction to Damon Young's book, I was reading like a paragraph at a time because his voice is so different than her voice, mm-hmm. and he's very casual, kind of jokey, fun, kind of like making light of serious things, and Tressie McMillan Cottom comes towards the work as an academic. She's coming to it in a very smart, not that he's not smart, but a very um, intellectual uh, argument making way. And so it was hard for me to settle into his book. So the first 11 pages took me almost an hour. I kept getting distracted. And then I read, you know, another 50 pages right thereafter once I got into it. So it is true that it's possible that it took me a while to 
get into her voice, yeah. which is why the later poems really connected with me more because I was felt more comfortable in her rhythms and her word choice and yeah. her storytelling. That's like a, and that makes me think about wanting to go back to Marlon James as a history of seven killings, which I also, the, the last two, last third yeah. really stuck out to me because sometimes books, t- I, I want. I was going to say teach you how to read them, but it's not mm-hmm. even teaching. You just have to get used to. I mean, there's that incredible line in "If Beale Street Could Talk," both the novel and the movie, where Fanny says to Tish, "You know, I would never do anything to hurt you. You know that I've always been yours. You just have to get used to me." Mm-hmm. And it's the first time that they have sex. Mm-hmm. They make love, I guess, right. would be a better way to say it. That idea of like, you have to get used to the voice. You have to get used to the body. Right. You have to get used to the way work, the way that language works. But right. this poem, Dressing Our Wounds in Warm Clothes, is awesome. Yeah, it's good. And But also to that point, kind of what we were talking about earlier, is that some things connect with you for reasons that you maybe don't understand. Like some, like we were saying, some people get language mm-hmm. in a different way. That like some books I'll pick up and from the first page, the first line, I'm with the author. And yeah, I don't know why yeah. and I couldn't tell you why. And it could be totally different than the thing I read before. And like even – I mean even – because I'm going through right now month – each month I'm reading a new Shakespeare play, a different one. And I'm going through all 37. Going in order? I'm going in order, but the order is not set. So it's yeah. so a little bit in order, yes, but not exactly because who knows. But sometimes I'll go from something to Shakespeare and the Shakespeare – will make zero sense to me. And sometimes I'll go from something to Shakespeare and I'm like, Titus Andronicus, I was there. Page one, I was like, I am with you, Titus. I am with these people. But that is an extraordinary play. That play's insane. But that's kind of what I'm saying is that like, <laughs> that it even it isn't even just the, the author's voice. Sometimes no. it's what they're saying and certain things you pick up and you're like, I'm with you. And sometimes like, I just read Love's Labor's Lost and I'm telling you, I thought I love Shakespeare and I really questioned if I like Shakespeare after reading that play. I thought it was terrible. Yeah. It is not good. Like I was, and I, and I'm always trying to be like, you have to read Shakespeare out loud. You have to see it like blah, blah, blah. And I was reading it being like cursing at my husband being like, this is garbage. This play is bad. How he should have burned this. (laughs) I'm trying to remember that one. That was, I think I mixed that one up with, with, uh, that's not the one with the twins that are lost at sea. No, No, that's that's 12th 12th night. night. And I like that one. That one's I like that one too. That's a fun one. Love's Labors is the king decides we're not going to have ladies. We're going to be celibate for like three years. And he has his like three men go with him. I saw that. Yes. It is B.A.D. bad. (laughs) Well, Titus Andronicus is is not a good play either. Oh, I love Titus. But I love it. But it's it's bananas. You know what I'm saying? I think it's so good. I think there's so much there, there, if you will. Well, yes. I mean, that's the whole thing too. Even with poems. There can be, mm, how can I put it? Like if there's there's what's happening on a formal level, and then there's just like, it's audacity. I mean, Titus Andronicus, right. to me, there's so much audacious, there's so many things in that, that right. you're like, wait, and you're going to have this, and, and you're going to have this, and right. you're going to have this. And there's something, a little bit of that to me in some of the poems by um, Intazaki. I'm surprised you didn't like The Poet and the Dancer. That was the one where... Um, there might, yeah, between a dancer and a poet on page 109. This is like the romancy thing. I mean, I took notes on almost all of them, so let's see what she I wrote She swayed down about from it. the bar, taut in control. Her legs hurt mercilessly. She even laughed while he took notes. I want to love you like I dance. When I hurt, I'm getting better. Too cheesy for you. This is what I wrote down. 
the words moved like dance. That was Mm -hmm. my note. The words moved like dance. Right. Dances of the spirit, the body. And she pranced before the poet. I mean, there's a kind of sentimentality in some of her work that um, Oh, here's another one that I I liked. Yeah. I guess I liked um, If I Go All the Way on 125. I wrote Sexy AF. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that you actually liked this. Yeah. A lot of it. I think that I did like it. But I think that... But I think that I have my own insecurity around poetry that probably comes from other places and also just a lack of practice. I think it's a lack of practice and also it's not just your own. I think there's a societal... Right, that's what I mean, but from that's other why places. it's so great yeah. that, that maybe this can open up a door for you. I know. Well, I want to read more poetry because in addition to, you know, wanting to not feel scared of something, right. I also like want to be cool and read poetry. <laughs> well, just have another source of pleasure in your sure, life. Sure, sure. You know? Yeah. But I mean, this thing here, dressing our wounds in warm clothes, this is kind of amazing because it starts off, we're as fragile as slight tree limbs laden with ice on a fierce winter day. You don't necessarily, she's highlighting the fragility mm-hmm. of people without homes. I mean, mm-hmm. that, and that's not a word that often, that's not, people think about the scariness of them or the idea that certain people are dirty, but the mm-hmm. idea that they're fragile and that be connected with this natural image. And then right. at the end, you know, our rags protect us. See, I designed this myself. No one anywhere looks quite like this is my beauty. Mm. Yeah. So that is a line that that gives me comfort. You know, you might think that I am X, Y, or Z. Mm-hmm. You might think that I'm not beautiful, but no one anywhere looks quite like this is my beauty. Right. So right. It's those moments like that that get popped up that I that I like. Do a you lot. feel like? I th- I think I know the answer to this, but I just want to ask you because I feel like it is worth saying. Is there such thing as a good poem? Oh, yeah. And there's a such thing as a bad poem, too. But what is it that makes a poem good versus connected to the reader? Oh, but I think that connecting to the reader can make a big difference. It's just what are the strategies to connect? And I guess I want to back up and say, too, I think about poetry the way I think about movies. Right. So if I go to a movie an art film or something and say like, I didn't get this. I would, I don't leave and then say, I don't like movies. Or Mm. if I go to a movie, I can say, you know what? That movie replicas with Keanu Reeves, that was bad. And I loved it. Do you know what I'm saying? And so there's something about what are the standards of success in a particular work? So is a poem um, sonically rich? Is it interesting? Is it vivid? Is the language compelling? Mm -hmm. Does it set a scene? Does it offer sensory details? Right. Does it, if it's a narrative poem, does it tell an interesting story? I mean, so there are all these different specific things. So that's where we could judge on technical craft or value. And if we could go like, so you think you can write poems and then have, Mm -hmm. you know, like the Jennifer (laughs) Lopez quality and you're like, you know, whatever, be like, well, we kind of like this or have Neo. That's not so you think. What is the name of their show? I don't know. I don't remember. But you get it. Like, so that it's the same way, the way that dance could be turned into sport. You can identify things and say, and this is what they do in high school. Okay. This is, this is worth this. And this is what makes it good. And then we can judge it. But then that's different from whether you like it or you don't like right, it or right. whether it ha- get, has an emotional impact for you. Is it describing a feeling? Does it touch into something, an experience that you've had in your life that you haven't had words for right. and that it's giving you the words for it? Do you think that then 
good and bad even matters when it comes to art? Like, do you think that it matters that something is sonically rich if people don't connect to it? Like if it's technically good? That's an excellent question that you're asking right now. I think it matters to the person. It matters perhaps to the person who's doing it. Mm-hmm. So this is where what is what is the intention mm-hmm. of the poet or the writer or the artist? Mm-hmm. And then also in the world, what kind of access do certain kinds of things have to circulate? What gets published? Right. What moves around? So that's where some of those questions really come up. The other thing is that I really think there's something for everybody. Like right. everybody loves a little something. Right. So, um, and I also think the deeper you get into the, a subculture, the more rarefied work can be and the more people want to, you know, so it turns into poetry comic con and you're like mm-hmm. all of a sudden, well, oh my God, you know, <laughs> somebody is dressing up as Wallace Stevens or whatever. But um, f- for me, I still think, and I have my, not all of my friends agree with this. I still think that good and bad have value for me more as a writer and a maker than as a reader okay. or a teacher. Okay. But even for me, I have to be careful that I don't fall into something where I think, oh, I made something and it's bad and therefore I'm bad or I made something and it's bad and therefore um, it's worthless. Or I think that it's important to fail sometimes. I think that not everything that we're going to make is going to be, it's, it's going to have impact or is going to be effective or is going to do what it is that we want to do. And a question is like, should that stuff be circulated in public? That's one question. In performance, sometimes it's, I mean, performance for me, the public is involved in it. And so if I'm risking sometimes something I'm trying to do, it will fail. It'll be bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and then people will see it because it's happened. And so I have failed in front of people. Right. And that actually, it's, it's, it can be hard or I can feel embarrassment or shame or disappointment. Mm-hmm. But I also can feel liberated that, wow, I did something and it didn't work. And I didn't just, you know, like explode or fall apart or, right. or die. Right. You know what right. I mean? And so it's important because the standards that the perfectionism, that goes back to being what we talked about last week, what it is to be this black girl right. who has to hmm. be so good and so perfect. So what is it to be free and to not have to get it, to not have to make it so that everyone can get it or to do something and follow intuition? There's a space in that for me for poetry as well. I'm so glad you're here talking about poems. <laughs> Bring me back anytime I you want to have this is so a little conversation about poems. I love I talking like about poems. I feel like it's like poem therapy for me because I feel like I, I need you know need to go to therapy to like learn how to like poems. And I feel like you're helping me to see that maybe I could do it on my own. It was always there. I'm it's like Dorothy, there. you know. There's no place like home. It's always there. But it's finding the poems that you will like, and so, well, so that's maybe I'll question. make a little list for you yeah. of like hearing that you have an interest in narrative. Yeah. You're interested in referentiality. You might like um, Levine, Philip Levine's poems, like What Work Is. He has these beautiful long poems, but they tell stories, but they tell stories about people's lives, you know? Mm -hmm. They're rad. I love them. Okay. For people like me Mm -hmm. who feel fear, anxiety maybe is better about poetry – where what are some other good places to start? Like, oh yeah, who are some like accessible poets? They don't have to necessarily be narrative, but just like poets that you feel like 
for people who aren't sure that aren't too like high high art, <laughs> you know, like yeah, you know, what's the like how to how to lose a guy in ten days of poetry? Like accessible. I love it. There are so many awesome. Um, I think first of all, your listeners like podcasts, and so I would suggest the Versus podcast with Danez Smith. And they are an exceptional poet whose work I would also recommend. Okay. They wrote Don't Call Us Dead. They wrote Insert Boy. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And then also um, Fanny Choi. Franny Choi. Fanny Choi. We'll edit it out to make sure that it's, it's right. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. Correct. And um, because she just came out with a new book called Soft Science. And she also had a book uh, that was a chapbook that I really liked whose title I can't remember. But there. Their podcast is so fun. Okay. They bring poets on. They talk about the poet's work. And so the same way in Swallow the Fish that and in Experiments in Joy, I provide context around work. I think that any poet can be accessible or more accessible when you hear their voice, you know more about them. And so their podcast is verses from the, the Poetry Foundation and they laugh and they joke and they drink and they tell, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that that's a really great place to start. Mm-hmm. I think that there's a free um, new, there's a free e-newsletter um, from the Poetry Foundation okay. and they'll send you four or five poems every week. And what I love about that is sometimes I read all five, sometimes I read one, sometimes I don't read them at all, but they're just coming and Mm -hmm. they're giving you a different variety and you can start to just read one and decide, I like this, I don't like this. The more poems you read, the more you'll be able to read poems and trust your own taste. Right. And sometimes you think you don't get it, but maybe you just didn't like it. That's true. And that's fair. I think that's also part of it. It's like before I read Wild Beauty, everyone was like, it's so good. It's so good. And so then I was like, oh, if I didn't like something, Something I was like, oh, I didn't didn't get it. Yeah. I missed it. Yeah. It's my fault. But I love Ocean Vaughn. I mean, I also would start with anthologies. So you get the breakbeat poets. They have Black Girl Magic. There's also um, a really cool book, just I think the Kaya Anthology. I mean, there's just like poetry everywhere. Everybody's doing their thing. It makes me so happy. But trying to find that match, it's almost like we need a like a tender for poems or Mm -hmm. something. Slide left, slide Mm -hmm. right. Maybe this is my app idea. Yeah, we need this for books too. We do actually. It's like there's no good place to find a book. Like if you're like, I just finished this book. What should I read next? Like. It'll tell you another book by the same author, and then you read it, and you're like, this book is nothing like that other book. You know? Or Amazon is trying to use algorithms, but the thing is that I'm not sure that books completely follow algorithms in that way. Or that people who read – like, you and I could read the same book and like it for different reasons. That's right. And so you could be attracted to – the poetry in the book, right? right? And like maybe, you know, if we both put the same rating for Wild Beauty, it would give us the same book where I might not like it. That's it might right. be something that I, like I wasn't connected to that thing. So I feel like that's the problem sometimes with algorithms is they're not always connected to exactly why what, someone right. picked or chose or liked the thing that they did. There is this great website. It's called Narrative Muse. Mm-hmm. Um, and I somehow was, con- I don't even know how I connected with them, but it's uh, for movies and books, recommendations, all women, women identifying gender, queer, femme, creators, makers. For the movies, it's harder. So it sometimes is just a female character lead. So like the color purple would be included. 
even though it's direct, you know, whatever. Spielberg, you yeah. know, but obviously Alice Walker. But for the book, so you go in and you enter all the things you like about books mm. and then they try to populate. And I have to be honest, it's really cool. I've done it twice now because I was helping them with their beta. Mm-hmm. And so the first time I did it, I didn't, I wasn't wild about my choices. But the second time, I would say about a third of the books were books that I was like, Oh, never heard of that. I'm interested in. A third of the books were books that I'd read and either liked or not liked. And then a third of the books were books that sounded like me, but weren't actually things I wanted to read. Like things I knew about that I was like, yeah, this is true crime. Yeah, this is about race. Yeah, this is, you know, but I was like, I'm actually. But I don't want to read that. That's actually like, I've read it. I didn't like it or whatever. But it's a very cool thing and it's all women and it's very inclusive. Mm. So it's called Narrative Muse. I think it's up and running. But That's exciting. I'm going to check that out. So it's kind of doing that matchmaking thing. But that, I mean, it's hard. The matchmaking in poetry or, or any writing is hard because you like writing for different reasons. And also you have to spend so much more time with a book than you do with a movie. Like if someone tells you, you to go see a movie and it's two hours or three hours or whatever and you're done, but like a book – you know, if you're not crazy and reading like, like me and reading a book a day, um, right? <laughs> if you're spending a week or a month with a book, that's a lot bigger of a commitment. It is. You know? Although with poetry, you don't have to spend that much right. time. I mean, one thing you can do is walk into a book of poems the way you walk into a museum and then pick your favorite mm. painting and then <laughs> clap in front of that painting. I mean, that's a trick from um, there was a, a French auctioneer who was hosting work of art, the reality show about art. And he talked about that as a strategy that he used. So this is a very bizarre tangent, but (laughs) something around just spending, you don't have to spend as much time. It's a different kind of time with poems because sometimes, so what I would suggest, for example, with this book, if there were 10 books, 10 poems here that you liked, what would happen if you spent a week and just kept reading those 10 poems oh. over and over, the ones that you liked and what would happen with the way that you felt about those poems. That would be, I would be curious. Another entry point for people though is thematic. So if you like dogs, get an anthology of poems about dogs. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Or if you like um, devotional or religious poems or nature poems or mm-hmm. funny poems, you know, that's a nice way thematically so that you know you're going to get the content, you right. know, so that's, you throw that out and then you're like, okay, what kind of language do I like? Or what kind of style right. do I like here? So, smart. so that's another way that I would recommend doing it. That's really good. And going to poetry events and hearing all the people go, mm, and, and you know, you feel like, do I belong here? But also it's kind of, once you walk in and you say like, I do belong here, I should be here and I'm just going to have fun with these weirdos, you know, I, I think, think it's that, better to do things with people. I like, yeah, it's, I do it's too. like you, it, when you go to a movie, like if you see a comedy at home on your couch, it's never as funny. Mm, it's no. like, no, Tiffany Haddish isn't that funny when I'm home alone. Right, like, right, right. Like right. it's funny to see other people laughing and getting embarrassed and feeling the feels. Same with the theater, same with Shakespeare, same with, like, I think things that are meant to be heard are meant to be heard. Same with a concert. Yes, absolutely. And while there are songs that you might like more at home, there's something about being at a concert where you see the artist performing and you feel the vibes, like vibes. It's the vibe. Yeah. And I think that that poetry is, runs on vibes, right. I think. I mean, and there are vibes in prose and in longer forms as well. It's just that there's a lot more padding. You know what I mean? But vibe is really... Right. And sometimes poems are not successful when they think that the vibe is going to do all the work for them. That's right, too. Yeah. You know what sense. I mean? It's like, right. but actually, there needs to be some language here that... Right. 
is telling people something or evoking something or explaining something, right. conjuring. I mean, language can do a lot of different kinds of things. It doesn't have to just do one thing, but it usually does have to do something. It has to do something. Yeah. Okay. I have a technical question. Yes. There might not be an answer, but you know, some of the poems have the slashes. Yeah. What do those mean? So normally, um, a slash like that would be used if you were quoting, let's say, poetry as a way to show a line break. Mm-hmm. But what I think she's doing there, she's she's sort of signaling to jazz or to music so that it's a break, but it's not a full break. So it's almost like a beat or a pause. Mm-hmm. And it's a way of showing continuity and rupture at the same time. So if you've got a line, which already, I mean, obviously it's a line, so it's broken and there's something after it. But then there's something inside of it that shows where maybe it could have been broken, but isn't. Or maybe it was broken, but you still mm. see the seam. Okay. You know, and so and it's also, I think the way that Shange uses it too is with rhythm. She's playing with rhythm inside of rhythm. Okay. Okay. I just was like real technical. Yeah. <laughs> Those formal things are kind of fun. It, yeah. well, it's inter- I, I love form. I like structure. Those are things that I respond to. So I'm always curious, like what, why? Why is this here? What does this do? Because there was a, there's a reason. She didn't just throw some slashes in. Well, that's also perhaps your performance training. Because in theater, if you were going to take some of these poems and then perform them I'd put for the all stage, the slashes. you know what I mean. So then you'd have to right. think like, okay, some, those slashes are here for a reason. Yep. How are we going to do this? Right. You know? Or the opposite would also be that you would take the whole text and write it all as one long line and try to find your own way into it. That's another you know? way. Absolutely. That there's so like, you know, that or like with Shakespeare, I was trained to do Shakespeare with the meter, iambic pentameter, like mm-hmm. to strongly follow it. And so finding ways to make it make sense when it doesn't feel natural to us now, because something that's written a long time ago feels natural like even the rhymes are different like an old english favorite rhymed with all sorts of things which now it just simply does not you know (laughs) and it's like how do i make this line make sense you know like there's so many monologues that end on these like rhyming couplets where they don't rhyme anymore and it's like you know so i understand like working with the text but i'm always curious like why why did the author put it there Mm because usually i will go back to whatever is written even if i disjoin it or change it or get rid of the you know as a way to understand understand it or play with it exactly but that what you just said is actually a great strategy for poetry in general i think is just to take it apart and re rewrite it or re i mean see the thing is that some people don't want to go through all that they're like just give me the book i want to read the story i don't know how i don't want to have to engage Mm -hmm, on all like mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. but this is this is sort of like okay do you like boggle do you like Scrabble? Play like this is sort of taking the language and and taking it apart and moving it around in your mouth and and re relineating it and and then putting it back together and mm-hmm. then seeing what happened for you in that. Yeah, tinkering a little. Yeah, bit. play finding play. Again. That's it. Yeah, experiments and joy. Experiments if you will. and joy. Absolutely. Okay, here's my. Well, I have two more things. Great. Because normally we, I would ask you who should be in this movie, but I don't think there is a movie of this. Oh, but I think there is. <laughs> there are movies inside these. I mean, Crack oh Annie. God. Crack Annie. But also, oh my gosh, there's such a movie here. And I'm trying to think who it would be. I mean, I feel like they would probably um, they'd probably cast Zoe Saldana. Mm-hmm, sure. You know, and I'm not a hater there. I know she, she got She's into a little great. trouble with Nina. She was Simone. great in Center Stage. She was Never excellent forget. in Center Never Stage. Forget. I love myself some Center Stage. Mm-hmm. And actually, I like her. Um, but there's there's something, I mean, 
there's something in this book. I almost feel like there's a movie of a of a woman living a life, and then she's jotting these things down mm. in a notebook, and that there's one life that that it looks like she's living, and then she's like on a bus, and she sees this homeless person, or she sees these right. men. And then you see her writing. And so it's almost like a movie. And actually, there's a big movie about this woman who has been doing all this writing and then gets sick. And her right. family has well, to come together. I think her life is a movie, certainly. Oh, my goodness. I mean, and Debbie you- Allen could play her <laughs> in the later years. And then I don't even know who would play her younger because I don't know who we have that's – I mean, they're – what well, movies what if, have had someone fierce what about and sassy that like this? Sweet, loving do- girl from uh, Marseille from Blackish. She's in the new movie oh, with Tiffany Haddish. She's talented as can she be. Is. I can't remember her. Full I want to see that. Little is what yeah, you're talking little. about. But I she's also so great on Blackish. She's so great. That's right. Yes, 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 yes. I was when I saw that trailer, I was like, where is that girl from? Blackish, yeah, of course. She's so good. Well, okay, so maybe there is a movie. Uh, but what I was gonna ask yeah. you is how do you think they structured the order of this book? Because it's a collection of poems and they come from, you know, for colored girls, I think was 1976. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the most recent ones are as late as 2016 because right. that's when the Pulse, Pulse. nightclub shooting was. So, I mean, like, how do you go about putting these together? Because they're not chronological. Right. And do we think that it was successful in the way that it's structured? Did you think it was successful in the way that it was structured? No, because I didn't know when. Why or how. Or yeah. I didn't know why and I didn't know when the poems were written. I had to do that work outside of it. So it was hard to see if there was like any through line in her work. And maybe that was the point is that she didn't want us to be drawing some kind of meaning on her work in that way. Like she didn't want it to be this is how I've evolved. But that my work was always in conversation with itself. Yeah. Maybe. I feel like um, that does seem to be something that she was interested in doing, kind of um, remixing her own Mm -hmm. archive a little. But I, I would agree that I did have some questions about the, the ordering of Mm -hmm. this book. I mean, because a, a conventional way, as you've just mentioned, would have been like, okay, this was the stuff from For Colored Girls. This is the stuff from Nappy Edges, et cetera, et cetera. Or maybe what I might have done was put a couple of the new poems at the beginning and start from mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. And it also, there aren't any section breaks in it. Mm-mm. And so it's just poem, 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 poem. And it's so interesting. Right now, my MFA students are developing their thesis for graduation And I was just talking to a really talented student today who was struggling with how to order her poems in this Mm. manuscript. And it is so hard because I think you can order it to try to take the reader on an emotional journey. Mm -hmm. You can order it to try to have um, like a tone to be kind of heavy and then get lighter Mm -hmm. or to be kind of light and then get heavier and then be light again. So that's one kind of arc. Mm -hmm. Um, I think here it felt as if it was just almost associative by topic. This is a poem about love. This is a poem about love. This is a poem about love in my youth. Okay, then let's talk about my youth. Okay, and then mm. let's – or, you know, I've given you some long poems. Now let me show you a short poem. So it felt it, – it was loose and sort of associative. Yeah. And I think that maybe some sections, some subsections – some what subtitles could have given the book more structure. Yeah. But that sense, I have a feeling that you're right, that 
that she was interested and they were interested in offering something that wanted to feel timeless. Right. And then that notion of wild and just being like, this is, you just walked into a thicket. You're in a, and at this, this grassland or this jungle and there's this beautiful language and, you know, and I use that natural language really deliberately for those who don't, who haven't read this book because she, she, there's something sultry. She loves Mm -hmm. to be with the rose bushes and Mm -hmm. with the, you know, which is interesting because it's urban and also, there's also these natural images often, you know, that she's interested in. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess the last thing we always do is title and cover. What did you think? I mean, we're talking a little bit about the title right now, the wild and 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 the nature and that aspect of it. But Wild Beauty is also, was that the name of one of her, one of the poems? I don't think so. No. I did, Was there a wild I beauty? I, maybe not. I love, I mean, because my last name is Seville, but it looks like civil, Mm -hmm. C-I-V-I-L, and there's this whole thing with civilization. Mm. I'm attracted to the wild and to kind of breaking the civil on some (laughs) level um, and opening up into, I often think about my own work as trying to open up a space. I mean, the aim of my work is to open up space and within myself trying to find my own wildness, the parts that haven't been too civilized and haven't been too socialized, that haven't been told exactly what is perfect and right. And just to feel could liberation come Mm. from a sort of unleashing. I mean, I too appreciate order. You mentioned that you like order and structure and you know, I got a Virgo moon for those of you that know what that means, which means that like I got my PhD when I was, you know, 25. I mean, I, I definitely um, try to set tasks, try to come to things, you know, early is on time and on time mm-hmm. is late, all that. But there's this other kind of unleashing that that's even not about being woke or being right or being good, but it's about something else. Mm. And that's what this title evokes for me. Hmm. Which might be even beyond what the poems altogether evoke, but right, this phrase. Right, that title. In fact, I've been invited to lead a group of incredible experimental black dancers and movers at the Velocity Dance Center in Seattle hmm. uh, for a Martin Luther King Jr. intensive in 2020. And the title that I proposed for the work that we would do together was Wild Beauty, Mm. inspired by this book. Oh, nice. Yeah. I love that. What about the cover? Now I don't know about this cover. What do you think about the cover? The cover makes me think of uh, Sweet Honey in the Rock. Yeah. Right? Like, it's like very like, I don't know, the font. It's not for me. I don't like the yellow and I don't like the, the no holes in the letters. Yeah, although I love Sweet Honey and the Rock. Now, I do too. But, and, it, and it's funny but that's because, like a specific yeah, aesthetic. Specific. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like it's very like 1991 to me. It is. It does date the book yeah. in a certain way that surprised me because Wild Beauty, for what that name is, the title, does, the, cover the cover of the book no. does not evoke that. It doesn't feel no. wild or particularly beautiful yeah. to me. It doesn't evoke beauty. But also, like, in my mind, a book that's called Wild Beauty would have a very, like, 
plane cover almost. Mm. Like I see something like, you know, like white with like black and like words. a yeah, like just like a little <gasps> like salt. Have you read that by Nair Wahid? I've not read it, but I've seen the cover. It's so so good. beautiful. <laughs> and her other book Nejma is also really good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, so like this the this the look of this book is not what is inside this book to me. Yes, and I want people that's a good thing to say because if people pick this up and it's called Wild Beauty and they look at this, it doesn't it doesn't reflect that. No. And it does make me think to your point at times that there can be an insider quality to poetry. I do wonder if I did not if I hadn't already known who she was and known what her work was like and just came across this book if it would have pinched my finger. Right. Right. I don't, I don't right. know. Ah. Whereas, whereas, you know, the latest book in the series by Alice Walker, I think the cover of that book is really, really beautiful. beautiful. And I, my copy of For Colored Girls is, I love, it's like the woman with the head scarf oh, with like kind of yeah. like the grid I love background. I like that one. It's really good. Um, yeah. Well, do we have anything else, anything else you want to say about this book or about poetry or just anything that you want to say? I just want to thank you for reading this book and talking about it with me. I want to thank you for doing that with me. I just have really enjoyed it. And I, it just has, it reminds me though that, um, I don't know, we just need to have more spaces to be able to talk about books that we love. Yay. I love that. That is, that's why this podcast exists. Exactly. Literally why making, making space to talk about books we love or sometimes don't love. Exactly. I never know when I open it. Yeah. <laughs> well, Gabrielle, thank you so much for being here and I'll link to all of Gabrielle's books and socials and things in the show notes, but thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. And we will see you guys in the stacks. Thank you all for listening and thank you to Gabrielle Seville for joining us today. You can find links to her social media in the show notes. Remember to get your book recommendations. Send us an email to askingthestacks at gmail.com. For more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram and at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. And check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. To join The Stacks Pack and get inside access to this show like perks and our book club and more, go to patreon.com slash the stacks and join the fun. For one-time contributions, go to paypal.me slash the stacks pod. Make sure you're subscribed to this show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, take a moment to rate and review. Our graphic designer is Robin McCright and our theme music is from Tagiragis. This show was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. I'll see you in The Stacks. <laughs>